Hello, sports fans. You're in the group chat, and we were all as productive today as Whitney Merciless was on the football field. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, you look at this game, and you, and you look at the two guys who are, are going to take the wrath of Texans fans the most. Whitney Merciless and Nick Martin are the two that come to mind. Whitney Merciless, just a total non-factor, out of shape. Uh, Nick Martin with the bad snap, obviously. These are the tough, smart, dependable guys. Uh, They got contract extensions that really nobody really understood. Uh, To me, if you just look at this game, it sucked. It's one of those where as soon as it happens, you need 15 minutes to yourself. You kind of have to gather yourself and just think about what exactly was going on. But the two guys Guys that are getting the most criticism uh, are two guys that got contract extensions uh, for being smart, tough, dependable. And I think it goes back to Meltz's like overvaluing smart, tough, dependable over talent. I, I, I want to jump in because I don't necessarily fully agree with how you said it because it's not just that they got contract extensions. Because if you told me Nick Martin was still playing for three, four million dollars a year, two million dollars a year, two and a half, that'd be okay. They all got significant rate. Both those guys got significant raises when they were poor performers at their position overall. That's what I think is tough. Like if you told me Whitney Merciless was on this team and he was making eight million dollars, you know, nine million dollars, you could cut him at the end of the year. It's easier to understand. But he is for sure on the football team. Nick Martin is one of the most well compensated centers in football, and neither one of those guys deserve that. And and then for them to go out there and play this way, and look, we can focus on the snap, and Deshaun can take some of the heat off of Nick Martin with how he says, like, that, that's oh, I should have caught it, blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. But like. This guy got his ass whipped all day. Yeah, and the Colts whipped his ass all day. And on that play, too, by the way, because it was his guy who came through the line and basically made it impossible for Deshaun to recover that football. Honestly, the Whitney extension bothers me a lot more than the Nick Martin one because I actually, I can step back from the emotion and say, I think there's real value in having continuity at center. And I could understand how they might have felt like Nick Martin, his first couple of years, had some injuries. He had a good pedigree coming out of college, like re-sign him. At least you're going to have Deshaun working with a center. That, like, I don't think that's going to cost you long term, like not having a great center. But the Whitney thing is just... It's inexplicable because there was no reason to give him that contract at the time that you gave it to him. It's not like in December of 2019, if you and I, if all of us were talking exactly a year ago, we wouldn't be saying, boy, Whitney Merciless, what a 2019 he's having. Nobody was saying that. No, he fell off a cliff. He fell off a cliff. You were saying the opposite. He started out real hot and he fell off a cliff. When JJ was out last season, they couldn't touch the quarterback. And the worst part is at least Nick Martin plays. He starts every single game. This Whitney Merciless deal now kills you because you basically can't get rid of him for next season. 20 20 games left of the Whitney Merciless experience. $14 million for Whitney. And and the thing about it is I I can talk about Nick Martin. I'm not a big Nick Martin fan, but I think he belongs in the NFL. He belongs on the field. I don't even know that Whitney Merciless really belongs on an NFL field at this point. And and honestly, when his position coach calls him out for being out of shape and when you look at him and he's huffing and puffing, it's it's a bad contract. And, and, And the Nick Martin, it's a bad contract. But the one thing about Nick Martin I can say is you can at least get out of it next year and you can cut him and you can save $6 million. Whitney Merciless is going to be a 
$14 million cap hit no matter what. The other thing about this too, about this game, if we're just going back to the to the stench of B.O.B. still being at NRG. His grubby, is, nasty fingers <laughs> are all over this thing. It's like the friend who came over and ate chicken strips and then washed his hands and then played with your favorite controller. He basically he system. basically took a nasty number two and, and clogged the toilet <laughs> at the I've house. Like that. That's you, basically that's and, basically what B.O.B. did. And we're trying to get a plumber, but no plumber can fix it right exactly. now. Exactly. It's and, still there. And, yes. and, 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 and this, job, is, this is the this is the thing uh, that the other thing just to add on that is slot receivers in the NFL don't make a lot of money because you can find them out of nowhere. You can find a Cole Beasley who's undrafted and he comes out of nowhere at SMU and there he is. You can you, you can trade for Wes Welker or Wes Welker can go undrafted and he can get passed around. Like slot receivers typically come out of nowhere and you had Kiki QT on your team this whole time. For whatever reason, Kiki QT was in Bill O'Brien's doghouse for two and a half years and he wasn't playing. And you paid Randall Cobb, which you paid him. He's going to make $10 million next year, no matter what. And all of a sudden I'm watching this game and I'm watching Kiki QT and it's like, holy crap, this guy should have been playing the last three years. How was this guy having to deal with King Bill for as long as he did? And, 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 and props to him because he still he, – he endured everything he, he, he went through and he's coming out there doing his thing. But you look at this guy and you're like, this guy belongs on the field. I don't know what you're going to do with Randall Cobb. And then I'm watching Umbop and Umbop's out there with over 100 yards too. <laughs> that, Not only is Kiki better than him, but Umbop's better than him too. That would be Chad Hansen, the former fourth round pick from the Jets who hadn't played in the NFL since 2017. He's been on like six teams. He's been on a bunch of practice squads. Five catches, a buck one in this game against the Colts. Uh, Kiki I mean, QT, just quickly on the stats, yeah. just to fill it out here. Uh, I guess about 160 so yards on the season in basically three games. Randall Cobb has a little over 400 throughout the course of this whole season, minus what he's missed with the injury. Uh, Cobb has three touchdowns. QT has one touchdown through the air. And they almost had another one. I think it's just one, the one because that was a pop yeah. pass to yes. us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they has the one touchdown. Um, yeah, so I mean, look, statistically, in three games, Kiki QT. And by the way, this one, the best one against the best defense that he far. has played to this point, and he has this performance against a defense that absolutely knows Kiki QT can kick their ass. So they had to be ready for this guy, and he still kicked their ass. This is, that is a sign of a big-time NFL player. This is the first time the Texans have t- had two 100-yard receivers, and one of them was Kiki, and one of them was Mbop. Think about that. <laughs> that is like, kind of like, remarkable. Think about that. They were, on pace, they were on pace to have two 1,000-yard receivers before Fuller got popped for the Peds, and this is the first time all season long that they've had two 100-yard receivers and one was Kiki and one was Mbop. That's fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating to me. It's it's a weird one because I think that as you mentioned Landry the, the receiver production I don't think was really a huge issue this season. Uh, the salary cap investment from a cop standpoint certainly was. I mean I, I don't know really even know like what what thing that I can say that's groundbreaking with Kiki because we all know the deal. It is remarkable that for basically the better span of two years, we spent watching that complete lard-ass DeAndre Carter play ahead of Kiki QT. It's just, it's it's mind-boggling. Like, Bill O'Brien got fired two months ago, and I can safely say I am still as angry, possibly even more at O'Brien today than I was two months ago, and he hasn't even been here the last two months. But it's like you watch Kiki play, and you ask yourself, how in the world was DeAndre Carter ever playing 
ahead of this guy? How did they feel that they needed to invest precious resources? Why did you resources? feel like you needed a slot receiver so bad that yes. you were gonna you were gonna make a guy the most overpaid receiver in football? Like why did why did you like why did you feel like that was that that was necessary when you had this guy on your roster? It I, makes no sense. I think that's one of the most annoying parts. Is it's one thing if the guy makes a mistake. And then he, he's got to work his way back from that. He wasn't given the opportunity to work his way back from the mistakes, it feels like. He wasn't given the chance to perform on game day. He was a regularly healthy scratch. Yes. It's one thing if QT had been hurt for all this, but he'd been a regularly healthy scratch. And he was a healthy scratch after Bill was gone, too, for a few games, the too. Other, the, so it's not like Tim Kelly's absolved from this because Bill O'Brien was here. Tim Kelly could have said, hey, we got to get this guy on the field. we got to see what's here, what's, what, he, what we can do with this guy. And there, there's, some, there's something really weird about it because you can say, like, yeah, Kiki was making mistakes, but I think he's lost, like, two fumbles. DeAndre Carter was fumbling more than him. Yep. And DeAndre Carter was staying on the field. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I don't know. I, I know Bill O'Brien's, like, a, a Boston guy, and I know a lot of people don't like Boston guys. And, and, and I want to word this perfectly because I don't want to get in too much trouble, like, and, and, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way. But, like, it, it almost feels like there's a certain type of way that – certain people act that bought that that bothers bill o'brien and i think I, I think it has a little bit to do with like southern <laughs> swag like honestly if you just yeah. look, and i'm just saying southern swag i'm talking about like the the texas george like the southeast type of corner like jadavian Clowney. He is a South Carolina guy. That's yes. a little bit of Southern swag. Uh, Kiki QT is Lufkin. That's a Southern swag guy. DeAndre Hopkins is a South Carolina Clemson guy, and that's a Southern guy. Like, for some reason, like, he prefers, like, a certain way that people act, but he just doesn't like, like, that Southern, that, that, that Southern swag thing. And it, it, it's, it, 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 it he I, likes, I don't like he likes going the, that uh, way, but it just it just seems like you, well, he, he, I got to try to make some sort of sense of this. Like it, it's it's one well, thing to get mad at Kiki Kuti, but you're mad at DeAndre Hopkins, you're mad at Jadavian Clowney. It doesn't make a lot of sense. He likes the Midwestern mindset mindset of a Nick Martin and a Whitney Merciless. That's what he likes. That's it. You see what I did there? Yes. He likes the Midwestern mindset of those guys. It, it really, I mean, it, it, it really is a, a cultural thing because even with and, and I think. There's an element to just listening to Kiki QT talk today. And I didn't ask him to like get him to crap on Bill O'Brien. I just said, do you feel like your performance over the past few weeks has rewarded the people that have faith in you? Yeah. And proved the people that doubted you wrong. And I, and he kind of caught himself because he, I mean, at that point he could have just gone in. Hey, the last coach didn't believe in me. These guys gave me a chance. I'm showing him up. He could have said that. And everyone would have been like, hell yeah, new favorite receiver. Okay. But he didn't. And he's like, you know what? Just making the most of my opportunity. Yeah, it does feel like I've proved some people wrong. Yeah, it does feel like I've you know rewarded the people that had faith in me. And I do think coming out of Texas Tech, coming from where he came from, the success that he had and the success that he had in his early part of his NFL career, having some confidence, having some arrogance about his game was at least slightly warranted and I think that's one of those things that just turned Bill O'Brien so off yeah and I think Bill has a natural disposition against rookies and that was even clear this season the rookies he, don't know anything yeah and that this was 2020 was not going to be a rookie year which obviously turned out to be completely false yeah ask I, Justin Jefferson how a rookie how about ask yeah. the Colts <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, ask it yeah I, I, it's it's preposterous but I, I think what happened to Kiki maybe was the combination of 
him suffering the injury with the hamstring as a rookie. That's another thing that makes O'Brien not trust somebody. And then it's just another example of a poor way to develop somebody who's young is to constantly be on them and then make them play without confidence. Like the, the two big plays against Kiki last season would be obviously the fumble against Denver, which I know they got blown out in that game, but it was the really, Kareem touchdown. The Kareem touchdown really like swung that game. I thought like that they would. I think they would have had a chance to be, be at least competitive had he not fumbled. And then against the Colts, the Colts ironically, the, the interception, the, the interception, interception, where they felt like Kiki like didn't like run the right route. But the problem is. As we've been discussing, DeAndre Carter had two equally horrific plays. The fumble against Atlanta, which kept the Falcons in the game. And obviously, much later, the fumble against Kansas City. So Andy, it, Andy didn't field the punt against the Colts. That's right. Yeah. In the game on the road the, where Kiki had issues. But it's got to be hard if you're a guy like Kiki to be able to play with confidence when you're constantly like looking over your shoulder or worried about what's what's going to go wrong. See, now, because of injury and the whole situation, now he now he knows like, hey, I'm basically the second best receiver on this team. No matter what happens, I'm going to be on the field. And I think it's easier to play with confidence. You can, you can see it that he's playing with a lot more confidence right now. You can see it jump off your TV screen. Could you imagine this team? And, and I'm, I'm sitting there watching this and... I'm watching this game today, and I'm like, man, like, you got Umbop making plays. You got Kiki making plays. I'm imagining Will Fuller in the mix. Uh, you, you got you got all these guys making plays. You got Deshaun just running for his life and just, just, just taking the world by storm. Could you imagine if this team had Jonathan Taylor? Like, if they were to draft a Jonathan Taylor in the second round instead of Ross Blacklock. Good point. Like, I feel like this offense or is... Or J.K. Dobbins. This offense is a really good running back away. Even, even you know, with, with, with limitations uh, at receiver from being really, really, really good. Even an average running back. I mean, the guys they have running the ball are, are, are regularly below average to bad. I so thought even, David Johnson looked a little better today. He did. Little better. He did. He did. Little better. He hey, did. He still had a couple of one-yard carries, but the touchdown run was nice. He, he rattled off that one running outside, which is something they have been hesitant to do for yes. whatever reason. Uh, they ran outside a little bit. Landry, you said something that I think is just is just, at this point, with the investment and the, the players that they have and things like that is just unacceptable. Deshaun Watson was running for his life today, and yeah. you saw it early yeah. where they got to him a couple of times, the Colts did, and then Deshaun made the, you know, it's, it's almost like he made the decision, okay, these guys aren't going to tackle me anymore. I'm going to roll out, and even if I have to throw the ball away, they're not going to get to me. They're not going to hit me anymore because that interior, that offensive line, I mean, we've hammered it. But Zach Fulton having no competition for himself, you know, having no competition coming into this year as the unquestioned right guard is unacceptable. Nick Martin coming in as the unquestioned center, unacceptable. <laughs> Max Sharping coming in as the left guard and having to rotate with Seneo Calamete. I have Fulton rotating with Seneo Calamete. We're looking at an offensive line that made three new members in the inside in the offseason. This is just, it is atrocious that the, the investment and the lack of challengers that they have put together for this interior offensive line, and it puts Deshaun Watson at risk each week. Luckily, he's basically fucking Superman, so he can withstand some of this, some of these issues that he has. Can someone explain to me on what basis Max Sharping and Senio Calamete rotate? Because I, I'm watching every play, and I have no idea what the answer is. <laughs> I, I, you think I, that, do you think they do? I don't do you know. you think Mike Devlin knows the answer to that? Do you think Mike Devlin, if asked, could give you a valid reason 
Why Sunil Calamete is in the game well, instead of the second round draft pick from 2019? Well, that's the thing. And the other part is why is Calamete rotating in for Sharping and not Zach Fulton? It's not like Fulton is doing much better on that side. I mean, I saw him get victimized a bunch today. Almost all the pressure was coming from the interior. And listen, I know it's a very good Colts defense, a very good defense. So I actually do think in this case, there is an element of like the other guys get paid too. They're very good. But it's very clear that like this interior offensive line is not nearly what you want. And it makes me worried for the future. I mean, unless I think that they're going to get a better offensive line coach and figure it out. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get through this like watching every other team and and thinking that they made a better move than the Texans, like a more impactful move than the Texans. Like it's hard to avoid. Hopefully that'll go away in like the next couple years. But I'm watching this game and, and I've really watched all season. Like we've we've been watching the Colts all year. I'm watching this and I'm like Dude, that is what you pay a premier draft pick for is DeForest Buckner. Like, I'm, yep. I'm looking at that and I'm like, yep. good God. Like, you traded a second for Brandon Cooks. You traded a third for Gary Conley. You traded a third for Duke Johnson. You traded two first and a second for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills. I'm watching DeForest Buckner and Justin Houston even. Like, and I'm saying, okay, you traded a second round pick for that guy. You traded a first round pick for that guy in about a one, one to two year span and you immediately have one of the best D lines in the NFL. That is what trading premier picks looks like. That's what I'm watching. That, when I'm watching the, this game, that's that's all I was thinking about. Well, if the Colts had Deshaun Watson, I think they would be one of the two best teams in the NFL. I think if the Colts had Andrew Luck, they would be the, the oh, yeah, like one of the best. I yeah. think they'd be at least the second best team in the NFL. I, I mean, think they'd be. I think this team with Andrew Luck, if Andrew Luck doesn't retire, the Colts are better than the Steelers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah, I think it's them and the Chiefs. Yeah, and and I agree with you, Landry. And I, I, that's actually an example of two well-run franchises making deals that were, I think, beneficial to both. I think for the Colts, it made perfect sense to trade a one for Buckner. For the 49ers, it makes sense because they basically drafted a guy in Kinlaw, I think, and then they basically reshift re, re the rookie salary cap deal with him. But the 49ers had other guys to pay, like Armstead and eventually Nick Bosa, yada, yada, yada. The Colts... Kittle. Hat Kittle have a lot of cap space, so in their situation, it makes sense to swap out the one for someone who is now, you know, probably their best football player, honestly. And that, and that's he's the one, thing he, about he, he's one of the best defensive linemen in football. Yeah, so it's it incredible. Well, listen yes, to the 49ers talk about him, but that, but that's the thing about trades is that we're so used to like losing trades here that we don't realize it, and we've almost conditioned ourselves. And, and I'm more guilty than any mofo in town, so I'm I'm not like sitting here up on like my soapbox looking down on it but both teams can win trades yes like the san francisco yeah. 49ers like them trading to forrest buckner was good for them and the colts trading for him is good uh the buffalo bills trading for stefan diggs was good for them and it's obviously worked out for the vikings like usually when you make a trade a team doesn't have to win it. Like both teams can win, but we're just so used to losing trades here. And it just seems like the Colts, like they get that. Like they, they, they absolutely get that. And that's, that, that's, that's what's so frustrating watching this. Well, you want to talk also about a well-run organization missing their, their franchise left tackle. Anthony Costanzo, not even active. Yep. The guy they have replacing him, Raven Clark goes down in the, what the first quarter. Yes. Second drive. So they go to their third string left tackle. And you can, I mean, you can barely sniff Philip Rivers. I mean, I get that. I mean, I think the pass rush was, was okay. Well, hold on, hold on. I, I get that A.J. Moore got home on a sack. Their starting running back got hurt week one, too. Right, yeah. Yes. You know, I, I, I get that A.J. Moore got home on a sack, but that, for whatever reason, 
their running back decided to double Whitney Merciless instead of you know <laughs> yeah, pick, that was bad. pick up the blitzing AJ Moore. And I get that JJ Watt got home, but for the most part, Phillip Rivers, especially early before the pass rush started to get home, especially early, Phillip Rivers was back there dialing it up, figuring out exactly what he wanted to do. And that's with the backup backup left tackle on the other team. So I don't know if that's hey, that backup backup left tackle is pretty good, which I don't anticipate that he is, or you just can't figure out how to attack that type of guy, and that's an issue on your defense and a commentary on the talent of your defense. Well, my biggest thing uh, uh, with this point, Cody, is I thought consistently, this is why I, I'm not devastated by this loss in, in any way by the Texans. I'm disappointed, and I, and I feel terrible for Deshaun, especially at the end of the game. But when you watch Indianapolis, it's super clear it's a very well-coached team. A lot of the things that Houston is doing offensively in this game, I don't want to like knock Tim Kelly too much because I think he's done a decent job in the last like six weeks or so. But a lot of it is Deshaun making things happen, like m- basically moving around and allowing his receivers to get open, particularly on that Kiki play early in the game. Indianapolis is a well-coached team. Like They're prepared for the screens you're running. They're prepared defensively for what the things that you want to do. Offensively, they're they're going to be prepared for the Texans when they send those blitzes from the safeties. They're ready to have quick outlets. Like, that's a well-coached team. My only issue with Frank Reich is that I thought going for it on that fourth down was a little ridiculous considering the way things were going, and he should have settled for a field goal. But other than that, Indianapolis is a very, very well-coached team and a well-run franchise. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I want to get into something, and I don't want to throw a curveball. Do you have anything to add to I, the actual I, I do, game? I, I do want to go one thing into the game. I would love to know how often a defense pitches a shutout in a half of football and that team still loses the game. Because Anthony Weaver's squad pitched a shutout in a half Ooh, of football. They did. Okay, they pitched a shutout. Nice go, oh, he's starting to blitz safeties too. Yeah, he's I, been more aggressive. I am to the point where, depending on who the hire is, either offensive-minded guy... I would assume the defensive-minded guy would say no, thank you. I think Sala and, and Weaver would gel nicely. I, I, I think Sala, if they, if so they actually pick, got in a room together, I think Sala and Weaver would gel nicely. You're picking up what I'm dropping here. Yes, I, th- I think point, Sala and Weaver would gel nicely. I'm to the point, the Colts had 29 rushing yards in the first half. Yep. I'm to the point, now obviously T.Y. Hilton went off, but that's Philip Gaines, that's not Anthony Weaver. I'm to the point where I want to have the conversation about Anthony Weaver potentially staying with this team and building something on this defense, being the defensive coordinator for this team going forward. Because what they did at the beginning of the year, and he hasn't had some massive influx of talent. He hasn't had someone get healthy that has just absolutely changed the way they play on defense. In fact, he's had guys drop off more often than somebody come back to help him. But Anthony Weaver has coached up and somehow schemed up a very nice defense that can play really, really good football for a good portion of a football game. And I appreciate that he has stayed with that. I appreciate these defenders have worked as hard as they have to, to correct some of the mistakes because if they played this game in the first five six weeks of the season Jonathan Taylor would have ran for a thousand yards <laughs> yeah okay instead yeah he, he rattled off a couple of nice runs there in the second half but they pitched a shutout in the second half and when they had to have some stops they blew up the running back in the hole when they had to have the stop and I really appreciate what Anthony Weaver has done with this defense and I'm ready when the season's over to have the conversation potentially about him sticking around this organization I don't have any issue with whoever the next head coach is going to be having Weaver stick around for next season I think he's got the right background. He seems like a sharp, intelligent guy. They've gotten a little better defensively over the course of the last two months or so, forcing a few more turnovers, doing some more creative things. 
I think you can argue Weaver's got the worst set of cornerbacks in the NFL right He's now. He's bringing a plastic knife to a gunfight. It's yeah. not even a knife to a gunfight. It I is mean, a plastic. It might even be a sport. I mean, think about it. The cornerbacks are Vernon Hargraves. Shout out to Taco Bell. Uh, Philip Gaines. Uh, I don't even know what position Eric Murray plays right now. Like this, this, I haven't tracked every one of the 32 teams and what their injury situation is, but this has to be the worst cornerback group right now, like arguably in the NFL. All and time. They're still, and they're all still, time. They're still playing Maybe of all competitive time, Competitive football week in week out. Yeah. I, so I agree with your premise, Cody. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you on that Weaver thing. I, I want to get into something in the offseason. Do we have anything else left Go on the it. game? I, I just want to move past this. I, I think a lot of times organizations have to make tough decisions, and you have to punt on stuff, and you can't keep justifying. Well, I used a draft pick uh, on this guy, or you, I, this guy's making this much money, so I have to put him on the field. So at some point, you have to make these tough decisions. Uh, Patriots beat the crap out of the chargers as we're recording this i think it's 45 nothing um Mm. and we know that they're always willing to make the tough decisions now they haven't drafted well but they're willing to make the tough decisions and i wonder if brandon cooks needs to get sanued because the patriots last year traded a second round pick for muhammad sanu and they basically just punted on it this year, and, and they kept it moving. Brandon Cooks is set to make $12 million next year. None of it's guaranteed. So if you cut him, $12 million back on your salary cap. Bada bing, bada boom. No one you got to pay Fuller. No one Umbop did his thing. No one Kiki QT's coming back. Uh, no one you have these receivers. No one you have these tight ends. Randall Cobb's for sure on the Randall team. Randall Cobb has to be on the team because you're giving him $10 million, so you're yep. a victim of that. I just wonder if we're talking about building the rest of this roster, if one of the decisions, I'm not saying Cooks can't play, and I'm not trying to knock anything on, on Brandon Cooks. I, I actually like Brandon Cooks as a player, uh, although I wouldn't have traded a second-round pick for him. But based on that and based on the fact that you have to make all these decisions and that Whitney Merciless is getting the 14 milli, uh, Fairbairn's getting the 5 milli, um, <laughs> <laughs> Eric Cobb's Curry. getting the 10 mil. Like, it's, it's all over the place. Could Brandon Cooks be the tough decision they make where Brandon Cooks is the guy that they let go and they just have to run with these receivers? So and they I, just have to sanew him. It's, it's not the worst idea and it's not a bad theory and it's not a, it's not a conversation that is out of the question to be had. Now, I building. know that he, he does Bible study with Easterby, so I don't know if that's like the tiebreaker. I, I could be an issue. I tell you what, with every, every, all the stuff that Bill O'Brien's fingerprints are on, it should just be another another line in the resume. And I know he might want to change the resume, you know, but another line in the resume of Jack Easterby shouldn't be around this football team. But the, your conversation with Cooks, I don't know what Fuller's going to make, so I don't know that his cost is going to be prohibitive to being able to keep a guy like Cooks. Yeah, it, the, the, the price definitely went down. And I also... I also would be hesitant, and I know that he had the concussion stuff prior to getting here, and I know he left today's game but came back with the concussion. I'd be hesitant to get rid of a guy that consistently plays 14 or more football games if Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, are, are the top wide receivers point. that you have point. in the room. Well, I, I'd actually be open to giving Cooks a small extension if he would be willing to consider it. I like Cooks. Just play, I mean, he's, play he, around but with I, his but, money. But 12, yeah. mil, 12 mil is a lot, man. 12, 12 for, for Brandon a lot. Cooks, that's a lot. I mean, he's going to be he's only going to be 28 next season. Now, we're saying that about a guy that can play and Randall Cobb's making 10. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean that that's the issue. Like, uh, at, at least Cooks is productive. I, I just I, I really wish they had a bigger receiver on this roster, but they had a bigger receiver on this roster, and unfortunately, he's no longer here. I, I do agree with the premise that Cooks I think is one of the two or three most interesting decisions about what what this team does in the offseason, like what they do with JJ, what they do with Cooks, what they do with Fuller, I think is fascinating. Well, he, the the positive part is in just based on who was here, I trust whoever the next decision maker is at general manager. I trust that guy to make the decision and to make the correct decision because if Bill O'Brien was still here, God, he might have he might have gave him a raise and guaranteed the rest of the deal. I mean, we, we don't know exactly what Bill O'Brien would do, but you're to the point with Cooks is if you want to play around with his number, you know, he's scheduled to make $12 million, That's going to affect the cap. You know, hey, we'll lower how much money you make. We'll guarantee you some money, spread it out over a couple and of years. And they could do that with JJ, too, because JJ, JJ, JJ has the same exact contract They're, situation. I don't know if JJ's willing to do it, but I think Cooks would be. For, for, look, for, every, for all these bad contracts that we, we, we talk about, that there's no maneuverability, that Jack Easterby has put them in this position, that Bill O'Brien has put them in this position, there's some maneuverability around with this roster. With Cooks, yes. With Cooks, with J.J., some other players that you can just bid farewell to. The tough part is is you if you bid farewell to a player that's in the building, you do have to inherently replace that player. The, the problem is some of these guys are really bad and are playing consistent roles and key roles, so replacing them won't be hard, but replacing a Cooks, that would be very difficult. And replacing a JJ, despite the age, injury concerns that people may have, the guy clearly still has a ton of juice left in the in the tank and showed it again today, okay, as he has over the past three, four weeks. Four tackles for loss, one sack. This decision with JJ becomes more and more difficult every time he rolls out there. Now, he may make the decision for you. I don't want to be here. Get me out. Or I just don't want an extension. Or I don't want an extension. And at that point, it's really hard to pay J.J. Watt. What is he scheduled to make? $17 million? 17.5. Okay, $17.5 million non-guaranteed. It's really difficult to pay him that if he don't want to play ball with you. And it would be very difficult to trade that cap number to somebody. So he may he may have a ability, a way to force himself out of town if he doesn't want to be here. But the decision becomes difficult because a few weeks into the season – it looked like, okay, maybe this was an easy thing to move on from. And then now, over the past you know month plus, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever, it's, like, it's really hard to not think that even two years from now, three years from now, that guy couldn't be a winning piece for your organization. But will another team consider him a winning piece in a more immediate time frame? Yeah, it's a, it, these what are I'm really, at, we might be getting ahead of ourselves what, here. What but. I'm getting at is he's going to look really weird in a Bears uniform next year. Is what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I think it's an organization. I mean, whoever they hire as GM and head coach, like it's going to be an organizational and a JJ Watt decision. Like, there's a realistic chance that JJ comes into the offseason and wants a trade. In which case, okay, well then you then that's fine, and you try to get whatever you can for him. I also think a lot of what you do with some of these higher price guys depends on what the salary cap is going to be next season. So I'm looking at it right now. The Texans are, their payroll next season is $184 million. That's the key number because there have been reports the NFL salary cap will be 175. That would be bad. But there was a report this morning that based on everything that's going on with the COVID-19 vaccine and the thought of having full fans in the stands next season, it might be 190 or 195. In which case, if the Texans make their requisite moves, like making the obvious cuts they need to, like David Johnson, Duke Johnson, Senio Calamete, uh, Brandon Dunn, 
Like, they can all of a sudden lop off a bunch of different moves to get themselves in a position to where they can re-sign who they need and go out and make one to two significant signings in the offseason. So I think a lot of it comes down to where that cap is going to be in March. That's going to be critical for the Texans. Yeah, and I mean, regardless of where it is, you're still going to have some of the same decisions, though. You know, like you're still going to have to make like the same decisions, like the the decisions that you're going to have to make are there. And we said this weeks ago, Nick Martin, $6 million next year. That's not happening. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying Nick Martin doesn't believe in the, uh, doesn't belong in the NFL, but $6 million, that ain't happening, buddy. Like, that should not happen. Like, Nick Martin should not be one of the highest paid centers in the NFL. That ain't happening. I, you, you, you gotta, you, you've, you've got to get rid of that. You, you, you saw what just happened with that guy. Sure. And I think it was kind of telling, uh, that w- when, when you kind of have some hope, one of Bill O'Brien's favorite guys who had the garage gym and all that type of stuff, uh, does that. Like, you can't pay Nick Martin $6 million next year. That makes no sense. I would think that the, this isn't necessarily as much a general manager decision because it, it is that guy helps you but I would think that whoever is in charge of the offense next be it Eric Bieniemy and one of his people underneath him or whoever Robert Sala or Matt Heberflus brings to the table they're going to have offensive linemen that leave other rosters that they enjoy or they like as a player more than what the Texans have on the offensive line right now and and you can move on from every interior offensive lineman on this team and you're not going to make me sad like you're you're not going to make me sad. Like I mean, Landry and 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 Mike, you guys made fun of me a couple of years ago when I cut all the offensive linemen in an offseason discussion. Yes, I still stand by that. Yeah, and all those guys were dog shit the next year. So I was That's right. Fine. And you probably should have just had seven <laughs> other dudes doing their jobs instead of those guys. Okay, so if you cut all the interior offensive linemen on this team, with the exception of Greg Mance, who I think should start next week at center. Where the hell is he? He might, how can Greg Mance not even play now? How is he not even on the roster with his ability to play guard? How is he not even on the active roster? It's weird. It is fascinating to me how he can't get on the field. But I would assume the next offensive-minded guy has a couple of big uglies that he likes, be it free agent acquisition, go get this guy off of a, someone's practice squad, go get this guy off of someone's you know depth chart and bring him in here because I, I, I know I can you know operate my offense with him. Well, let, let's put it this way. I don't know whether Nick Martin will be back next season or not. His cap number is $8.75 million. If they cut him, the dead money is $2.5. So they can save about six. The Texans are in such a weird place, and by weird I mean bad, that next season, anybody who can save them money next season, anybody, it doesn't matter how good they are, is going to be a conversation because of the situation they're in. Now, I'm not saying they're going to like cut everybody they can save money on. They won't do that because they have to bring in like they have to bring in a bunch of people to replace them. But what I'm saying is this team is in such a challenging situation from a cap and draft pick standpoint that any player they can save money on from J.J. Watts to Brandon Cooks on down, every single one is a conversation based on the position that Bill O'Brien, then with Jack Easterby, put them in. I've heard I, I've heard a lot of people who I actually respect, and I say a lot, I'm exaggerating, but like a couple people who are like into, you know, watching practice and watching offensive linemen um, that we know well, say that Zach Fulton's a better center than he is a guard. Well, put him at and center. I don't know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, and, and, and I know how bad he looks at guard right now, but 
I've heard people say, like multiple people say, that he's a better guard. So maybe you bring back Zach center. Fulton next year because you gave him the you, you gave him the extension, and you let Zach Fulton be your starting center, and you bring in another guy that can play center or something like that, or are you roll it back with Mance or whatever? But it, it, Nick Martin making six million dollars just doesn't make no it, sense. It, it would, don't make no sense. It would be really nice to have a fourth round rookie offensive lineman on this team. Yes. They have one of those. Oh, they do. Charlie Heck. Oh, what is what position does he play? He plays offensive tackle. Oh, they, that's great. They traded up for him. They traded two sevens. They traded <laughs> up for Charlie Heck to play offensive tackle when Laramie Tunsil was still on the team, correct? Uh, Titus Howard was still on the team, correct? And Roderick Johnson, who played really well as a backup tackle last year, he was still on the team. He so played okay last year. So instead He played of, really well this year. So instead of having depth at the guard spot instead of giving yourself a lottery ticket a scratch off at the guard spot they drafted an offensive tackle who two days later on the radio his head coach from college told Landry that he was a project and he just can't get on the field Dude, somehow mention him by name man that's 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 football royalty around here North Carolina Mac Brown's not football royalty no just say Te- his name say Te- his name Texas Mac Brown say his name royalty. say his name Mac Brown. Thank Mac, you. Mac Brown tells Landry Thank two days you. after he's drafted that he's a project player. And he apparently, despite despite having a father as an offensive line coach, one of the more successful offensive line coaches, he has bad technique. That's like, what annoys me Why the is most. that guy on the team? That was one of the weirdest and, experiences and, I've, I've, I've ever had. I'm not trying to like harp too much on a fourth-round pick, but that was really strange but, when I had Mac Brown on. Mac Brown is the most positive, nice guy in the world. And I was like, hey, Mac, will you come on and talk about Charlie Heck with us? And I figured he was going to make it sound like they just drafted the next Anthony Munoz. He basically said, don't rely on this guy being on the field in, 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 in for another three years. Tomorrow, and they traded up for that. Tomorrow... At 5 o'clock, the Steelers are going to play a rookie at guard that went like 10 picks after Charlie Yeah, I'm actually, I've been looking down at my computer looking at the guys going after Charlie Heck. Buffalo as a rookie receiver has four touchdowns. Well, in the fifth round, uh, two guys who I saw make plays today, uh, Quintus Cephas caught a touchdown for the Lions. Colin Johnson, I know, caught at least a two-point conversion late from Mike Lennon. Uh, he got a touchdown, too. Yeah, he, yeah, he did catch a touchdown earlier. And two he's obviously the last like, three weeks. The Texans could use a bigger receiver he's like six, a five. Yeah, he's six, a 6'5 project. Yeah, and, and, and it just goes to the point that like... The process what, was the, wrong. Yes, what like you have one two things the Texans have thankfully are a franchise quarterback and two franchise tackles around him at least they have that going for him so why in 2020 in the fourth round I understand it's the fourth round it's not the second it's not the first I get it but like just the process I mean I'm looking at some of the guys who were picked after Charlie Heck and it's very early but and it's not like this guy can play guard yes like Heck is Heck is a true he's a tackle. tackle like he's he's built like he's built like a center in basketball exactly like yes. it's it's you not like it's not else. like you drafted a guy that you can move inside and outside nope. or anything like he's not he's not quote versatile it's right or left tackle exactly. and it's really not good it, it's mediocre left tackle, mediocre right tackle. And, and so if you had just somebody in the fourth round who was at least a decent rookie or somebody, that would be a cheap, valuable contract moving forward. And it's just yet another like log in the fire of what a bad process this whole thing has been for the last two years since Brian Gain was fired. All right, speaking of the process, the potential next guy 
I mean, some of the situations, some of the conversations are starting to happen. Landry said for weeks he thinks they know who it is. They just haven't made the hire yet because they can't make the hire yet. I don't necessarily disagree with him, but uh, our good buddy Jason Lockenfor throws this out here this morning. A two-piece that was very interesting but very lockenfor y in that John Dorsey is going to be on the list for the Texans because he's a favorite of Corn Ferry. Okay. And then the other piece, which we can talk about here in a minute, is that Deshaun Watson went to management and vouched for Eric Bieniemy. We talked about we we talked about Dorsey, I think, on our first podcast. And someone told me Dorsey was interested, and they they weren't interested at the time. Uh, but I, I think John Dorsey. I don't even think he needs to interview. Like, I, I don't think John Dorsey needs to interview. If, if they want John Dorsey to interview for this job, he just needs to put on the Cleveland Browns highlights from, from, from this weekend <laughs> because they beat the shit out of the Titans. And he needs to put on the Super Bowl from the Kansas City Chiefs uh, in 2019 because he built that team as well. So if you, if you want to bring in John Dorsey, I don't even think that you need to interview him because anybody else you interview, it's going to be – there's going to be a lot of unknown because all these other names we hear, these are unknown. John Dorsey built the Chiefs. John Dorsey built the Browns. For whatever reason, it didn't stick with him in those two situations. So I think if you're going to interview John Dorsey, the, the resume speaks for itself. The ability to, to draft. I told you what Brian Broaddus told me because Brian Broaddus was with him in Green Bay. You give him a case of beer, he's going to have the best draft. You give John Dorsey a case of beer and you just tell him it was, draft. Uh, Dos Equis specifically. Well, it was right? Dos Equis. He's going to have the best draft. It's going to be a matter of him trying to correct whatever was wrong with him but, and growth. Like what was wrong with him then is, is going to be the real question. How many people get three shots of being a GM? I don't know, but Not how many. many people do what he did? Do you think Cleveland should have fired him? I mean, I know that Freddie no, well, Freddy Kitchens what, thing was bad. The I don't Freddy, know what I, don't I, know I think, what I think it was all there. about the Freddie Kitchens hire. There's, yeah. there's an issue. Because, but that was a Baker Mayfield thing where he's but, giving your franchise quarterback what he wants. But if Cal McNair says the general manager is going to hire the head coach, John Dorsey hired... Freddie Kitchens. No, but John Dorsey's going to hire the enemy. Okay. Like, 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 that's the bottom line. If, if, if John Dorsey comes here, he's a Kansas City guy, he's hiring the enemy. Okay. That's, that's a done deal. Here's my like, issue. That, that's 100% a done deal. If, if Dorsey's here, the enemy's the coach. John, End of discussion. John Dorsey's clearly a good personnel guy, but if you look at his strengths in drafting in Kansas City and Cleveland, he's clearly a guy who does not care about these guys off the field and he will take that's fine he will take you've chances. wanted that for a long time well Mike. hang on well hang on he's willing to take chances on guys with serious off-field issues like Tyreek Hill like Kareem Hunt is Cal McNair going to suddenly completely turn away from the direction of his father and then hire someone like John Dorsey because that would be basically a a 180 from the way the Texans have run things also how annoying would uh would Jack Easterby be to John Dorsey. Well, Dorsey. <laughs> How annoying. Oh, my gosh. An ECB hey, John Dorsey conversation. Hey, hey, hey John, this this kid, you know, that you want to draft, he, he hit his girlfriend in college. Are you sure you want to do that, John? Get the fuck out of the draft room. <laughs> Yeah, Dorsey will be like, well, this guy can play football, basically. Well, he's, no, that, he's that's not going to anything to do with that. And, and, well, that, that's, my, that's my question. Like, the Texans hiring it John Dorsey would be... It might be a good balance, be, though. Easterby and maybe, Dorsey. Maybe. Easterby could, and Dorsey. Maybe, maybe they're thinking about hiring Dorsey, but Easterby is going to be like the balance. It's going to be like the, I, the middle ground. I just, I, just, I just have a hard time seeing that a guy who 
was doing as well as he was doing in Kansas City. They move on from him to make sure they keep somebody else. Yeah, he's got. He's they've got to ask him like what what was the problem, and he's got to figure it out. But well, then who's hiring the coach? Because I don't want him to hire. I mean, if you say no, he's hiring Bienemy. If it's just okay, okay, he's going to hire Bienemy. It's it's that's it. Like. He's not hiring Freddie Kitchens here. I want 100% promise you, guarantee, write it on Sharpie on my forehead, do what you want to do. If John Dorsey is the coach of the Texans, be enemies. Or, or okay. If John Dorsey is the GM, be enemies the coach. Okay. 100%. The end. I'm, no, 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 no decision, anything, that's it. I am fine with that pairing. I just don't want to hear, you know, two years in, three years in, that – Oh, John Dorsey's hard to work with, and this isn't working out, and that isn't working that. out, yeah. and stuff like that. So. Well, I mean, Cleveland, Cleveland said that, but Cleveland seems to be doing fine because of his work. Like that's the whole thing. Like, yeah, it's it, it it's obviously it didn't work out in Cleveland, but it's they're still they're still doing a pretty good job, right? No, he's had. He, don't get me wrong, he has a solid foundation on his resume from Kansas City. He has a solid foundation on his resume from Cleveland. I would say that. The guy that took over in Kansas City did enough tweaking on that to, to right, very Beach. much put his put his stamp on that Super Bowl team as his own. Now, would Dorsey have made those similar moves? Probably. I would also say John Dorsey did that with premium draft picks as well in his um, in his time with Cleveland. Well, I mean, Tyree Kill wasn't a premium draft pick. Travis Kelsey wasn't a premium draft pick. Uh, like he's he, he does he does a good job drafting. I understand, guys late but they too. but they traded up from the mid twenties to the tenth overall spot, and then they had the luxury of having that guy sit on the on the bench for a year and learn. Uh, they drafted Miles Garrett number one overall. Like I mean, you and I could have done that. Yeah, anybody could have done that. I, I I got a I just pulled up a text from someone in Cleveland, like very much in the know, uh, and I asked him about Dorsey. I just said like, what's up with Dorsey? And, the, and this is his quote: He's a great talent evaluator, uh, but not one hundred percent. He's the guy you want handling the cap, et cetera. Uh, but in the Texan situation, when you already have your QB, he's a decent candidate for sure. So I don't think we're going to ask him to handle the cap. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the record and say I am a vote against John Dorsey as GM. He's done it twice between the managerial style, the fact that Andy... But did he Re- fail? The fact that Andy Reid wanted him out... I would say he failed in Brett Veach, uh, The fact that... like. But Brett Veach might be better than him. Well, like, Brett Veach is but, better but, than no, him. No, but, that, but, but I'd rather. But 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 if he if he's better than like Brett Veach is one of the best. Like Brett Veach is awesome. Like the, yes. the way that they do things is perfect. Like so, if he's not as good as Brett Veach, that's not a knock. I don't. I, I feel like I feel like there's at least I feel like at least like 80 percent of the GMs in the NFL aren't as good as Brett Veach. I'd, I would rather. I, I'd rather an opportunity to. Get the next Brett Veach than to get yes. John Dorsey. I was just going to say what Cody was going to say. The guys that we've been mentioning on the last couple of podcasts, which you guys should check out those episodes, the people around the NFL, like the up-and-comers in Tampa or Buffalo or Baltimore, I would rather take a chance on a young up-and-comer than deal with the red flags of John Dorsey, particularly because his player philosophy style is so different from what they've done in the past. Can I just be honest with you guys? Yes. And I'm, I'm just being 100% honest. <laughs> like, I... I think I think I laid out a good case for Dorsey. You you can hide. I mean, but he, the only reason I'm be- banging on the table for him, I just want him to do a weekly with us. That's it. Like I just <laughs> want to do a me- weekly. Yeah, that's it. He's very media that's friendly. It. Like I'm just yes. being honest. Like I'll just be honest. It's it, it, I'm I'm being selfish. Like I, I don't know if this is best for the Texans. I think it's. I, I don't think it's the worst thing that could happen, but it's really just like me just wanting content. I, I don't I don't think there are. I don't think there are a tremendous amount of negatives to John Dorsey. I just don't know if the positives are as great as we 
have said. And plus, I'd gain thirty pounds because me and him would be drinking beers every night. <laughs> like me, boy, and Dorsey, me and Dorsey would be drinking beers every night. I I would say about about Dorsey. It just the situation is to me so different than the Kansas City and the Cleveland situations that his strengths seem like they could be initially minimized, and I think you need someone who has different strengths right away. F- fair enough. Fair enough. Very, very, very fair enough. I also, think I'm just not... Parts I'm, of that. I'm just... I mean, I'm not in love with a guy that interviewed Matt Eberflus and then decided to hire Freddie Kitchens. It's a knock on him. There's no doubt. It's a knock on him. And Sala. I'm not in love with a guy that interviewed Robert Sala and then decided to hire I guess a fucking ice cream man. Because the Brown situation is always so odd, I would like to do an investigation into that hiring and figure out how much of that was Baker Mayfield, how much of that was Jimmy Haslam, how much of that was pushed by Dorsey. Was that Dorsey going along with what everybody else wanted, even though he may have had reservations? I would like to but know y'all the inside gotta, y'all story. Gotta, at least, we, we, this, this is what, this is, these are the best discussions because... Y'all are making good points, but you got to admit what he's done has been pretty impressive. No doubt. I mean, he has his, a lot his, of good his, his fingerprints are all over and, today's NFL. Yep. And, and, and obviously that that's almost a knock on him because he doesn't have a job right now. And he's got, he's got two teams in the playoff picture right now. I mean, I think Cleveland wrapped up a playoff spot this week. Yeah, with their probably. Ninth win. And, and Kansas City, I think, is the best team in the league. Like, his fingerprints are all over that, but he doesn't have a job. So something, something has to be wrong, but his work does kind of speak for itself. It does. It, it does. It certainly does. I would also tell you that if, we, if you thought he was a legendary general manager, A, he wouldn't be available, and B we would just know he's going to do it again. I don't believe him to be legendary. What if, what but if, hold on, hold what on. What if he grows? What if he grows? I don't believe him to be legendary, and I would tell you the law of averages are he's due for a downturn after all the success that he's had. That's true, but, but what, if he, what if he's learned from it? Well, anybody will say what they need to say to get the job. I didn't What's hire up, Freddie Mike McCarthy. I didn't hire Freddie Kitchens. The owner hired him. Baker I mean, Mayfield wanted him. I didn't want him. The fact that Dorsey does have a genuine eye for talent would seem to be the kind of thing that should not age. He's got an eye for talent, and that is what he brings to the table. The other thing that I would wonder, and, and I don't know if this is realistic or not, because GM jobs are so hard to hard to come by, is if you did bring. Uh, Remind me of my dude from Kansas City's name. Um, the uh, the uh, the the assistant of Veach right now. It is um, um, Easterby and him have the same agent. I'm I'm struggling on this. Oh, but if you hadn't asked me, I could have told you. Whatever uh, whatever his name is. Uh, Bor- Borgonzi. 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 What if like does Borgonzi hate uh, Dorsey? What what if you could have Dorsey in your organization without him being the GM? Well then, I, then, then, then spend the money and sign me up for that. I'm, I'm. If you had John Dorsey, I don't. If, 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 if everything we're saying is true, and this guy still wants to work in the NFL, what if you can have him in your organization working with Borgonzi, and Borgonzi's if, the GM? If you had John Dorsey with Borgonzi to eliminate and weaken some of his negatives, I'm in. Sign me up. Yeah, I'm okay with that. It sounds like a lot of guys to hire, but yes. Also, I think too, and and this is a credit to Landry here, the fact that John Dorsey's name is so publicly out there that they associate it with the search firm, that it just just all of a sudden pops up here when it has been very leak-proof to this point, and this is a point Landry made a few weeks ago, it feels like this is a lot more Dorsey camp driven than Texans camp driven. Yeah, I was gonna I, I was gonna say that because 
to reiterate, Cody, the report from Lockhand Fora is that John Dorsey is somebody that Corn Ferry likes a lot as he, a GM. He's a candidate. He's a candidate. Lockhand Fora said that the two previous Corn uh, Ferry led searches by Jed Hughes, yeah. who is the guy that that Cal McNair secured his exclusive services. Yes, the previous two led to John Dorsey ending up as the general manager. Okay. Well, I think he is a candidate in the most general of terms. I am. I'm skeptical if, about. I'm, I'm very ter- skeptical about the, uh, an, organi- an organization like the Texans hiring somebody like John Dorsey. Ultimately, by the way, I, I heard on the rumor mill he's been helping out the Eagles recently. D- helping about how uh, <laughs> is that as, reflected in as, anything? Well, as like, well, I mean, he can't, you can't make any decisions in the middle of the season. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he's been like, uh, you okay. know, assessing that organization and, and assisting them in some way, shape, or form. That is interesting. Um, so if you know some organization wanted to add him to the equation as the non-GM, maybe Philly, who may make a change at head coach. Yes. Um, you know, maybe they would be interested in that. The other lock in for report. What do we think lock in for is repackaging the dinner conversation in a different way and saying that Deshaun Watson talked about Eric bien Or do we think that in addition to Cal McNair requesting a dinner with Deshaun Watson to pick his brain, Deshaun Watson also went to management and said, I would like Eric. I'd be okay with Eric bien as the coach. My sense. And this is just my sense. Justin Reed brought him up without, you know, he brought him up, you know, without any sort of lead in. I mean, I know he was asked about the Rooney rule and Eric Bieniemy is one of the leading minority candidates. Yeah. But he brought him up without prodding he, Eric Bieniemy's name out of nowhere this past week. So I would would be interested again. Lockheed Forest wording is interesting because if Deshaun wanted to vouch for Eric Bieniemy, he would have already had the opportunity. So if there was another conversation where he also went to the owner and said, hey, I'd be OK with this guy. But why would you just be OK? Why wouldn't you just go to the bat for the guy? You bring up some interesting angles to it. I here's here's well, my poking holes in lock in for his reporting. Yeah. Well, that's Not hard that, that's, to do. Though. That's always a good thing. I, I think it, what it comes down to is that uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to frame this the right way uh, in a way that makes sense. Eric Bieniemy is a pretty well known head coaching candidate. He also happens to be an African American coaching candidate in a league that has let's just shall we say struggled in hiring minorities, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So I think Bieniemy is in this rare spot. Like I don't know how many NFL players are really aware of like Matt Eberflus. Obviously Deshaun Watson would would be aware of him because he he's competing against him twice a season. But I don't know, I don't know about the average NFL player. Bieniemy is like now at this point well known as hey this is somebody who is an African American who's going to get a head coaching job who's been the offensive coordinator of the best offense in football for the last couple of seasons and so it's an easy name to bring up as far as like a possible head coaching candidate. Slow hanging fruit. Yeah, I don't think Deshaun is saying hey Cal I think we should hire Eric Bieniemy. I think Eric Bieniemy has the kind of resume that he is going to be naturally foremost in players' minds. Yeah, I, I, I think it's really low hanging fruit with Eric Bieniemy. I'm not saying that he he might not end up being a, a good coach and I'm not saying that Eric Bieniemy doesn't have like some qualities but it seems like low hanging fruit like Justin Reed had no substance uh when he was talking about Eric Bieniemy this week he he said something like I've been following been following him since what since he was like the running back coach for the Chiefs like what, what are you talking about you've been following him like it, it just seems like people are just uh, assuming that Eric Bieniemy does stuff he doesn't do he doesn't do he's not the quarterback coach uh, Andy Reid's calling the plays he has feedback sometimes Andy Reid lets him call the plays 
he could end up being a very good coach, but it just seems like really low hanging fruit to say that Eric Bieniemy is the guy, and this is going to be the guy that's going to take us over the top. Go go back to the '90s Cowboys. North Turner was a shitty head coach. Dave Wanstead, the defensive coordinator. North Turner was the offensive coordinator. Dave Wanstead was a shitty head coach. Like just assuming that because this organization looks like a well-oiled machine that their assistants are all of a sudden going to come in there and you're going to look that way. It, it, it's silly. It's low hanging fruit. And it, the, the sales pitch on the enemy, I'm just not buying right now. I would, I would be, um, I'd be fascinated to know someone from the NFL may have to answer this question because it's their rule. If Robert Sala and Matt Eberflus qualify as minority candidates, because both are of Lebanese descent. Hmm. I believe both of Salah's parents are Lebanese. Salah does, for sure. Eberflus is half Lebanese. So I would be fascinated to know if they qualify as a minority candidate. In, that's now that's what nobody's angle. talking about. In, in, now is. that is yeah. the ultimate nobody's talking about. In, wow. That's in, well done, Cody. And wow. I, you know, someone at the, uh, again, someone at the NFL has to answer that question because it's, again, they, it's their rule. They have to have some kind of criteria, yes. Right. Absolutely. Because, you know, I, I understand that it's... <laughs> the Colts are going to get third-round pick for Eberflus. I, I would guess that there are, you know, a far less amount of Lebanese heritage players in the National Football League than there are African-American heritage players. Yeah, I think that's fair. So if neither, I mean, maybe, okay, one of your parents is Lebanese, your other parent is not, maybe that, but Robert Saul, I believe, again, you know, that both his parents are Lebanese, he's from Lebanese descent. Um, Does he qualify as a minority candidate? I don't know. I'm all in on Sala, by the way. All in? All in. So let's, 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 let's get it on the record here. Our guys, as of today. Sala. It's Robert Sala, Sala for you. Matt Eberflus, the guy we saw at NRG today. He's my guy. I would pair up Eberflus with Ed Dodds, who is a front office guy with Indy. That would be my combination. Okay. I like your combo. I'm an Eberflus guy on the sheer fact that that's who Kyle Shanahan wanted before he hired Sala. I like that. He wanted to interview him, and they, they declined. And the, the Cowboys cow- said, nope. The Cowboys, the Cowboys loved him. Yep. The they Cowboys are angry. T- they let him out of the building. That makes me feel better. Oh, and also, and it's more of a minor point, but because he's been coordinating against Deshaun Watson, and not so much today per se, but relatively successfully, I think that's the guy who can walk into Deshaun and say, "Hey, listen, I know you're really good, but here are your weaknesses. Like, here's what I game planned against you twice a season. This is what you need to clean he's, up." He's he. You would assume he is more intimately familiar with Deshaun Watson than Robert Sala is. He's not yeah. as he's not as uh, yeah. Oh, he knows Watson's tendencies better than anyone. He has as far to. as far as knowing Watson's tendencies, Eberflus knows them more than anyone. Like him, him watching the tape is is insane, and he's also from the Marinelli uh, tree. And I, I know it's kind of like I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> no, no, I'm I not do. saying that in a bad or good way. Mike Tomlin's from it. All right, okay. Mike Tomlin's from it. Raheem Morris is from it. Uh, like there's a lot of there's a lot of really good coaches from it. It's it's from the Dungy slash uh, Marinelli tree. And he was supposed to be the DC in Dallas, but he but he declined it because he didn't want to step on Marinelli's toes. But Eberflus, if if anyone knows Deshaun Watson, he knows Deshaun Watson better than anybody. I I would be fascinated to know because you being a solid guy. Who Robert Sala would inherently pick from to help run the offense is a lot more clear. That's, yeah, it would be McDaniel or Lafleur. It would be it would be the run game coordinator or the pass game coordinator who both started out. One started out, I think, as like an intern in Washington, uh, and then the other one started out in Cleveland when Shanahan was there. So there, it, it would be two Shanahan. It, it's two Shanahan understudies, and you would have to pick between those two. 
Is the okay? And again, you know, I don't know. The NFL has the rules or whatever. Is there a chance that he could steal both of them because they'd both be getting inherent upgrades on their position name? I don't know. Because I mean, maybe in theory, one of them could be the offensive coordinator and the other one could be the quarterbacks coach. I don't know. Might be some. Might be some heavy lifting. Anyway, we, we 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 we're not a hundred percent sure where Eberflus would draw from from an offensive staff. It would seem that he would not totally draw from what Frank Reich has been doing because it's just the quarterbacks have been inherently so different. Um, but maybe he likes someone off of that staff that he would bring along. Maybe he would pick someone from that staff to help at a lower level while finding a different offensive coordinator. I mean, Eberflus got the co-sign from Josh McDaniels. Yep. That's why he's in Indianapolis. He got the co-sign from Josh McDaniels. Is there a, is there a Patriots guy that Eberflus likes from that sort of tree, that sort of realm that he would go try to find? You know, I, don't, I, don't, I think it's less clear. Or we have less evidence to guess on Eberflus's staff than we do Salah's staff. And by the way, if you told me it's Salah, like, I'm fine with it. Yeah, that's my thing. I, I, I am fine completely with Salah, I'm fine Eberflus, with a lot of Brady. guys. I'm fine with like 10 guys right yeah. now for Texans. Well, I think that, but that, Salah's my guy. But here, and I think here's why we feel that way, is it's really hard to figure out who is going to be a good head coach moving forward. Like, there's no formula for this. There are guys who come off of great teams like Landry mentioned with Dave Wansett and North Turner who are, who are awful. There are guys who come off of Belichick's staff. Most of those guys have failed, but not Brian Flores. There are guys who come off the dungy tree who, have, who happen to be pretty good, but there's no like rhyme or reason to it. Even if you're an excellent coordinator, you may not be a good head coach. If you're a lousy coordinator, like Mike Frabel was, you can still be a good head coach. There's not like a direct formula that you can point to historically in the last 10, 20, 25 years and say, yeah, this kind of formula leads to, su- to success more often than not. We don't and, know. And the other thing about Eberflus is I think, and, and I think he can learn this from Marinelli, and I think Marinelli will probably tell him this, and and, and I truly believe in this. I, I think Rob Marinelli is a very good football coach, and I think he went to I think he went to Detroit and he went zero sixteen because it was a shit show, and I and I think that was a, that was a bad situation for him. Just like GMs, you have to pick the right situation for you as a head coach. Like you can't like I, Matt Eberflus. I think in the right situation, if you put him like with the Texans, I think it would be a very, very good situation for him. If you put him with the Jags, I don't know if you could say the same thing. So I think that he has to like weigh out his situation as well. That, that What you're talking about is literally the reason why Robert Sala should not go home and go be the Lions head coach. <laughs> That's a terrible situation. Although he'd be the, you know, the, the hometown kid coming home um, and everybody would love him. That's a horrible situation. It's nowhere near any other opportunity that he could literally interview for from potentially Philadelphia, potentially Chicago, because both of those jobs look like they're going to open up, it would seem. At the very least, there's going to be a discussion about those two jobs. Um, L.A., Jacksonville, almost every opening is better than going back to Chargers would be nice for him. Yeah, now. Chargers will be open. That will be an open and head gonna, coaching you're job. You're going to get a lot of guys back. That would be a very good job. They and did not a top look, 10 pick. They yeah. did not look like a team today that was going to fight for uh, the honor of one Anthony Lynn. Yeah, Anthony Lynn gone. I mean, we... Uh, Two two more jobs potentially open up, and then it gets very, you know, you, you're you're out and about ahead of a lot of this with as the Texans theoretically. But are you going? Like, you have to hire your general manager first if you're going to stick to okay. Well, the GM's going to hire the coach. They know who it is. And then once the GM gets in the building, then you. I mean, you can't interview all these guys. 
they know who their GM is and they know who their coach is. Like that's, that's the bottom line. Like the Texans know who their GM is and the GM knows who he wants to hire his coach. They can go through the process. They can nickel and dime. They can do whatever. When you say that, they know that they know that. When you say that, is that the GM has a favorite and he knows that guy would say yes. Yes. Or that GM has a favorite and that guy may take other interviews. They know like the, the, through through the wire, like it's been, it's, it's been damn near to like over two months. Like they know who they're, they're next. The Texans can like, they, they can put out this like committee and stuff and they can have discussions and stuff. They know who their next GM is and they've talked to these members of the committee. Like it's not like, like I, I know it's theater and I know that I, we're going to buy into it and I'm going to build the fuck up uh, with it. Like, trust me, like tomorrow, committee. tomorrow it's going to be announced. I'm going to be like, Oh my God, this, uh, da, 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 da. and you're going to hear promos at the station and that's what the situation is going to be. But the bottom line is this, they know who the next GM is going to be. Okay. And they've already talked to these members of the committee. It's not like they announced the committee and all of a sudden they have their first conversation. Right, right, right. They've sure. already talked to these guys. And then they're going to announce who the coach is and the GM knows who the coach is. They know what the situation is. My, my, my problem with your line of thinking is nobody's name's on a dotted line. And there's and, and it doesn't matter. Josh McDaniels was in the fucking building. He's a slime ball. Josh McDaniels is hiring coaches. As long as, for, Josh, as, long as, he's, as, as, long as they're so, not hiring him. So forgive me, forgive me for not going all the way in with you saying that it's signed, sealed, delivered. It's done. When it's bro. not signed. It's not sealed. They and know. It's not delivered. They know. Do you feel this they way? Know. They you, may have a strong feeling, but I just can't well, get all so the way you there. Think, yeah, so you think this week the the Texans are going to announce the committee? It's going to be like, all right, Andre Johnson, the come on down. The committee's just for show. Come on down. They're going to have their first discussion. We broke that down last week. The committee's just for show. I agree. It's this for about show. Jamie Roots. This is about Cal McNair. And this is about the Corn Ferry guy saying this is, should be the GM. And then when the bro, GM gets there, they know this who is, the GM is. I understand. Is. So and I, know and I don't GM disagree is, with that. But shit like that has gone sideways in sports for years. No. Josh McDaniels is a unique situation. They know who it is. And they already have the commitment. It's in. Are you? This is it. Are you convinced of that mainly because they fired O'Brien two months? Ago and so I'm they've had this whole that time because I live in the real world and I know that. But when like, you let's have, say when you have two months, when you have two months, so to that's sit why here and, and decide who your next GM and coach is. You know, after two months, so the answer is yes, you know. because they've had a vacancy at head coach and GM long term for yes. two months. They know who they're going to hire based yes. on Landry's logic. Okay, yes, okay. I just, I just, when you're talking about something that is inherently business. And business isn't done until the name's on the dotted line. All right, whatever. I mean, listen, I, I, think, Cody, I, 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 think, I, I, think, I think Cody brings up a good point in that, yes, it's something to be concerned about if you're them until and if that happens. Uh, but I could see Landry's point. I, it's I'm convinced, done, dude. I'm not, convinced, I'm not convinced it's done because I have no basis to say whether it's done or not. I have no idea how Cal they McNair know. operates. They know. And this is Cal McNair's decision, by the way. I want to make this very clear. I know this with 100% certainty. This is Cal McNair's decision. This ain't no committee. Of the course committee it's Cal McNair's decision. No, he team he's doing it yeah Cal he owns McNair's a team the decision who else's it. decision could it be the, the the Cal McNair era began after week four period point blank into discussion that that is that is what happened I would he's say the, the Cal McNair era began when he hired Easterby or fired gain but that's neither here yeah, nor I'm there trying to move past that yeah this is this will be the second iteration hopefully more L- successful Landry can you lay out for us why you want something to happen that will inevitably lead to the water polo tight end being on the field more. I want Pharaoh Brown cut. 
I want I want Farrell Brown, the <laughs> tight end for the Texans, cut, uh, and and this is why. And and I'll just go back to the I'll go back to the early '90s. And, and I don't have the exact name of this situation, but in the early '90s, Jimmy Johnson, coach of the Cowboys, builder of one of the best dynasties uh, in our lifetime, Jimmy Johnson cut somebody for falling asleep in a meeting. He cut his ass. He, 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 the guy fell asleep in a meeting. This guy was like third on the depth chart. And Jimmy Johnson, to make a statement, just cut him. And he was asked, well, what happens if Michael Irvin falls asleep in that meeting? And you know what Jimmy Johnson said? <laughs> he said, I would have woke his ass up. <laughs> you treat everybody fairly. You don't have to treat everybody equally. I would have woke his ass up. I would have woke up my Hall of Fame wide receiver if he would have fallen asleep, but this guy fell asleep and I cut his ass. Farrell Brown, this weekend on Twitter, the night before the Texans loss, this is what Farrell Brown had to say. A guy by the name of Will Rubin or Rubin, W-I-L-L Rubin, tweeted, Houston is four and seven. Why should your fans watch you? Farrell Brown responded with the following. That's for them to decide my direct deposit still hit Monday morning. Let me tell you this. I watched Deshaun Watson after that game not leave the field for 20 minutes. I looked at J.J. Watt's face after Nick Martin snapped that ball, and it looked disgusted. This is a guy who's given you a decade and one of the best players in franchise history. That might be your mindset, Farrell Brown. But when a guy who is the third tight end on the depth chart says something like that in the middle of this, when the franchise quarterback is acting that way, authentically, by the way, and J.J. Watt is acting like he's acting authentically, Farrell Brown gots to go. You need to cut Farrell Brown's ass right now, and you need to send a message to the organization. You what's the, what's message the message, though? To the, locker. the message is we don't want guys sitting here counting checks right now. And you're not, you're not important well, do, enough but, to be saying you, stuff like but that. But do you so, think he's on. just counting checks? Hold on, hold on, hold on. He yeah. said he was. I well, mean, I mean, well, he, I mean didn't, he, he said didn't, that. He didn't exactly say it. He said it in the context of he was asked, why should your fans watch you? Which to me puts an athlete in a weird he spot. Basically the fans said, can do whatever they want. Well, he's, he should probably not respond. Like, I agree. Do you, yeah, do you, want, do you, want, do you want JJ Watt to go through his mentions and, and respond to everything? I agree. Do you want Deshaun Watson to do that? Hey. You're a you're you're Farrell Brown. You've you've been on multiple teams at this point, and you're talking about counting checks and checks clearing when JJ Watt and Deshaun Watson are doing their thing. You, That's a disgrace, man. You know you, That's a disgrace. That's disgusting. You, he should go. You know what? You know what his answer should have been? Get his ass out of here. What his answer should have been? Because we have four. And we can beat anybody. I agree. When four's on our team, I and agree. We're building something, and here. they're actually at, at Get his ass out of They're here, entertaining man. to watch. They've been entertaining to watch for for a month, even with you, a with a with a bad loss he don't against need to be a part of things moving you think, forward. Get you out think of here, Chad Hansen. Yep, Mbop as Landry's called him, which for God's sakes, I hope that name doesn't stick. Oh, it will. You think you know Chad Hansen? You know it will. You think Chad Hansen? Who's been on 18 fucking teams? Can you call him the right name, please? <laughs> Since the Jets, you know it's going to happen. You think Umbop cares <laughs> about the check showing up tomorrow? 
I'm sure he cares. Well, I don't know. Um, Bob cares that Wednesday I when they hit the practice field that he goes out there. You can't say stuff like that, dude. I, I think the league can't say stuff gets, like that. I think like, it's to run Mike, some Mike, I, think, I, I feel like you're messing with me. You can't say stuff like well, that. Well, listen, I think it's a bad thing. You can't say I, stuff like I'm that. Just, I'm less bothered the by this. Who cares if they watch? Well, I'm less That's bothered. That's not for me to decide. What I'm, do you mean the fans? You should say like I'm, you should say nothing, first of all. You're I Farrell agree. Brown. You should watch four dimes on the pools. Farrell Brown saying that, he should be cut. But I am bothered. Also, I want to see what Kahali Waring's got. So you're, you're, well, that's you're not fine. Even, you're, th- there's nothing even to see with you, Farrah That's Brown. fine. Like if that if that's your mindset during a four and seven season, when Texans fans have gone through everything they've gone through, when they've gone through the King Bill era, when Deshaun Watson won't even leave the field after 25, you want to talk about checks clearing? Look at Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt. They could easily say that. You even saying that is ridiculous. <laughs> like but he should I, be gone. Jimmy Johnson would have cut his ass. That's fine. Not he's a fossil go, bro. I am not more, a fossil guy. He's got to go, bro. Get I your ass more, out. I'm more bothered by Lonnie Johnson throwing his teammates under the bus when he's telling Aaron Wilson or whoever else that no. it wasn't his assignment. That no, actually no. bothers and me that's more. The, that's, the other, that's the other thing that bothered me about the Deshaun Watson thing is Deshaun Watson sitting out there with his hands in his head. He's borderline crying at the press conference during a 4-7 and seven season. Now he's 4-8. and eight. And you have Pharaoh Brown basically hoping the check clears on Monday and letting you know about it. You have Lonnie Johnson trying to give you a breakdown to justify <laughs> his crappy play. And you have Titus Howard, who actually is a really good player. I'm not trying to knock Titus Howard, but he's sitting there like retweeting draft analysis from two years ago like he's so content. That's fair. And you have the franchise quarterback sitting there with his hands in his head. I can't cut Titus Howard. I can't cut Lonnie Johnson. Those guys are going to have to figure it out. Farrell Brown talking about checks clearing <laughs> when you've been on multiple practice squads. Get your ass out of here for real. Uh, give me the water polo tight end. Let's figure this out. That is ridiculous. They clearly believe in Kyle Waring. They left him one-on-one on the outside uh, in the what was it, the first play when they had like 14 seconds left. To try yeah, to that's score. right. And then Romeo chose not to go for the end zone with eight seconds to go, which was probably a bad move. I'm sure you're against it, but I, I can understand his feeling that without a timeout, maybe you worry Deshaun takes a sack and then you're basically done in that spot. Mike, they, they should have thrown the ball into the end zone. You run one of the two plays you just run. I agree. That they, makes sense. They took yes. five and eight seconds. They took five and four seconds to run. No, I get that. You, you tell Deshaun, listen, no matter what, you were throwing the football, throw into the corner of the end zone, and we see what happens. How about, how about you How about you run Umbop on a you know <laughs> fade in the corner or something? I actually did think that they did a weird job of not using the tight ends more in this game, considering how... I don't feel like Aikens and Watson look like they're on the same page as much as they no, used to be. I disagree with both of you. I think that that's just... They just got ass kickers at safety and linebacker. It's hard to use the tight okay. ends on this one. I, I gotta tell you, like, Indianapolis, they got... That, that Kenny Moore, every time the Texans play... That he, interception he, yeah, was it's like weird. He, he's always making these, like, weird, annoying, really good plays that bother me, and I that, wish he didn't That exist. interception with Cooks, uh, where Cooks ended up getting the concussion protocol, I couldn't tell if it was an interception or not, but the initial the initial play on the field made it impossible to even. Like, I, yeah, rule. I thought that they ruled that an interception on the sheer fact that they knew that they had to review it and that the review would fix it. Hmm. Whereas if they had ruled that incomplete, they knew someone was definitely using a challenge flag. So they basically. Well, saved, what if they had ruled it a catch for Cooks? Or a catch? Sorry, a catch. If they yeah. ruled that a catch, someone is absolutely using a challenge flag. But if they rule it an interception, then the replay review does it for them. Because they, they legitimately took like a minute to make the call. So yeah. they did not know what the result of the play was. So interception, the replay takes care of it for us. It was just a really nice play by him. It, there was not a great It was also the to, wrong decision, too, by the way. 
I thought, I thought that was a catch and he's down. Uh, I thought that Moore wrestled it away. I don't want to have this opinion, but I thought that Moore wrestled, wrestled it away before Cooks had it fully secured on the ground and the ball never hit the ground. So I thought because the ball never hit the ground, then yeah. it's got to be one possession or the other. So I thought it was fair to give it to the Colts. Um, but that's another example. It's a good organization. They're well coached. And Moore's the guy who's hurt the Texans a couple times in the last two years. How about... How about uh Reich with the challenge call on the T.Y. Hilton. Nice job. Again, he got that heel in. Nice job by him. That is something that Bill O'Brien would have messed up. Possibly. Would he have? I, I'm not, I, I'm not going <laughs> to assume O'Brien would have screwed every single thing up, although he tried to. Oh, what is he, what is, where has he earned any sort of leverage? Well, O'Brien won it? some challenges. It's not like he won none of them. Yeah, that, but that it, was a nice he, shot by Reich. He won the one that Shane Leckler had to tell him to challenge, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah that was a I want to praise something else, though. Uh, I want to praise Romeo's clock management at the end of uh, the second half because he was, using the, he was using his timeouts, and he was valuing the time more so than the actual timeouts. Yes. And I think a lot of coaches make that mistake where, like, if there's 250 left, you let the time go down yeah. instead of using the timeout. And I thought Romeo did a good job. I think they got the ball back with 250 left. That was good. And I think if he wouldn't have valued the time over the timeouts, it could have been just, like, at the two-minute warning. And I thought he did a really good job with that. It was good to see that after he mismanaged the first half. He got it right in the second half. But I don't know what was going on with that field well, goal timeout. Uh, yeah, the issue with Romeo was he blew, what, two timeouts in this game? He blew the one where he said after the game that he was trying to ice the kicker, which was completely wait, ridiculous wait wait what romeo said wait what 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 he said that he blew wait 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 they blew the time the press conference hold on a second he said he was trying to ice the kicker at the end of the first half he said that all right he said that i'm i'm done i'm done he said that i'm i'm done he said he was trying to ice the kicker, which makes no sense. Like, uh, they have a good kicker. I, Are he, you kidding me? You have two timeouts. I know. And one, one over a minute left with uh, Deshaun. It's ridiculous. It's 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 indefensible. And you, it was it's, a six. You, he, he admitted you, it was a bad job, but even again, like Charlie had the, the thought process. Wait, 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 wait. That timeout was wasted. Wait, 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 wait. Yes, we go through the. Let's go through. No, this is this is really insane to me. He really said that. Yes, Slanger. He really said that. He said. I know we're. I know we're up against it. He was trying to ice the kicker. He was trying to ice the kicker. So one. Here's here's a one one fifteen to go. The Colts with the football at the Texans' 24-yard line, and he tried to ice the kicker. Go ahead. And then at the end of the half, oh my I God, made a decision dude. to try to ice the kicker. Probably wasn't the best decision to make, but I called the timeout on that one. Probably if we had that timeout, we might have been able to use it, maybe to get a touchdown at the end of the half. Yeah, that's really bad. All right. There, <laughs> there's a reason this guy later, was a failed head coach uh, near 20 years ago. Later, he was asked point blank by our guy Brandon Scott, do you think icing the kicker works? Romeo Cornell, sometimes. I mean, hey, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. If he had missed the field goal, then boom, I would have been a genius, but he made it, so I'm a doofus. First of all, if he had no, missed you wouldn't have been, you a wouldn't genius. Have been a genius at all. Are you kidding me? But the only time you even think about icing the kicker is if the time doesn't matter, is if there are like two seconds to go in the half and you're like, hey, I've got two timeouts. If I want to, let me use it. But you're not going to be a genius. First of all, nobody would have even assumed you were, you were icing the kicker in that spot. I thought they used a timeout just for no reason, basically. They weren't lined up or they saw something weird. You, nobody thought you were a genius if uh, that field goal was missing that spot by Blankenship. With the glasses. I like Rodrigo. I agree. 
Ice in the kicker? Ice in the kicker. Kicker. Texas I, kicker missed a 52 yarder. Yeah, it was a curveball. I mean, now it's a screwball. Screwball. According to Gannon. Yeah, screwball. I mean, Kaimi has been. How bad is Gumble? Better, better recently? How bad is Gumble? Uh, that crew could use a lot of work. He gave Brennan Scarlett credit for a Jacob Martin sack. <laughs> Brennan Scarlett on IR. I was happy for the three media members that asked about David Johnson being playing was finally off IR, though. <laughs> it finally uh, it finally panned out for him as he played in this game. What's yes. Scar- uh, I mean, this may- Scarlett's what, 56? That's his number? 57? Seven. 57? Okay, 57 and 54 do look kind of similar. Uh, mm. Well, Scarlett, I don't think Scarlett and Martin even have the same kind of body frame. No, they don't. Like, they don't. I, I, I have never confused them for each other. By the way, Jadavian Clowney season's over. He finishes the season with no sex. He's going to be a surgery. bargain. He's going to be a bargain. Yeah, I, I, I'm very interested to see what Clowney, season. what the future yeah, is going to be up. like. It's up two years, 20. I wouldn't, pay, I wouldn't pay him that. Yeah, I'd, I'd be a little bit worried about paying him it's up that. up two years, 20. Oh, Eberflus coached him okay. Oh, Sala, <laughs> oh, Sala with Clowney, okay. Sala with Clowney is really intriguing. Might have 15 sacks next year. Sala with Clowney is really intriguing. Sala with Clowney. Boy, that's a rough loss by Tennessee. You know that combo. That that's that that might be the most inconsistent team in the that's NFL. A, that's well, a playoff clincher. I, I said the other what day. What did I text you Saturday night, Mike? What or did you Friday text night? me? I sent you the email. Oh, yeah, you sent me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yes. I said, who is the team that is so inconsistent that you know they're going to get upset in the playoffs? Tennessee. And, w- and why is it Tennessee? Yeah. Dude. The the Browns clinched a playoff spot this week. Oh yeah, because the Browns are at nine. They've got uh, the Browns have the Giants and the Jets. Yeah, now the Giants good. look tougher, but like they've good. they've got some wins. Yeah, ah, yeah, they're they clinched a playoff spot this week. Yeah, I mean, uh, who knows? You, who knew that you now, hire a real head coach and you're much better? Now I'm gonna sit here and think about Clowney on a like a two year prove it deal with yeah. Eberflus or Sala all yeah, weekend for sure. It's gonna you be one to. of one of the more interesting storylines. It, absolute steal. Well, by the way, uh, he could make Randall Cobb money maybe. <laughs> no, those days are don't, long gone. Don't depress hopefully. me. Those days are long He'd gone. He'd be hopefully. lucky to get Whitney money, money at this point. God. God. <laughs> Everybody be lucky to get Whitney money. 